Uh, my name is Lee, uh, or welcome, I should probably say that first, hey? Welcome to Entwistle Community Church. <laughs> my name is Lee, and I am a board member here, and uh, I have the privilege today of not just doing a prayer time, but actually being able to preach uh, today's sermon. So, last Sunday, we were in a state of celebration because the, the uh, restrictions that came with COVID were lifted, and we had the opportunity to be thankful and praise God for the incredible, tangible, and relevant gifts he had given us. Right, we could see this in this communal praise that bound us and people all around the world together. And because even in the midst of our differences, we all were so happy that we could come together in a full group and praise God. And so a question that I have, and I mentioned this last week during prayer time, was when there are not high highs, and low lows, we return, and we return to going about our everyday lives, why does it seem like people are so much more prone to trouble? Why does it take a pandemic ending to bind us as the church together? And so, a big part of that comes, a big part of that comes from the constant temptation we have to water down God. I think we simplify him into something that we can thank when things are good and ask for help when things are bad. Now those are parts of God, but very far from the whole picture. We make him into a moral convenience that we can minimize as we see fit. Now this is far from the first time humanity has minimized God. Within the first three chapters of the Bible, man is guilty of it. And so, we're going to start there, because to help appreciate what God did for us, we have to understand how the relationship with God looked like originally, what we did to it, and how God sought unity with us after we lost it. And so, if we take a look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, <laughs> We start with the creation account. So a quick recap is that God created the world in seven days. First day, God created the light, and then the day and night. And the second day, God created the sky. The third day, he created the land, the seas, and the plants. The fourth day, he created the sun, moon, and stars. Fifth day, the water and the sky creatures. And on the sixth day, he created wild animals and humans. And now humans are given some extra time and attention by God. See, in Genesis 1, 26 to 31, it reads, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the, the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In his own image, God created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every, every living creature that moves on the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it I give every green plant for food, and it was so. So you can see here in the beginning that there is a deep care that God 
has for humanity. Uh, this, this care he has, it comes from us, that language of in our own image, right? In our likeness. He gives us authority, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it, right? This sort of language implies that God placed a man, immense amount of trust in us. If we continue on, then on the seventh day God rested and there is a continuation of this account in Genesis 2. And so Genesis 2, 8 to 9 reads, Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God placed man in his own garden, that was beautiful, full of delicious food, and contained some very special trees. And Genesis 2.15 reads, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God is again placing his trust in man, to take care of his work for this very special garden of gods. Genesis 2, verses 21 to 22 reads, So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought it and he brought her to the man. So God now provides man with relationship and community. And in chapter three, verse eight, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So God, in his love, gives man life. He gives him a place to stay that is abundant and beautiful, he gives him trust to work and take care of God's creation and then gives him relationship and community. And perhaps the most important, though, is he walks among them. He was in the garden with them. And that is how our relationship with God begins, walking side by side with him. And so, what did we do to our relationship and unity with God? A serpent deceives Eve, the woman, and she eats from the tree that they were told not to because, Genesis 3, 6, it says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, she saw it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desired for, desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And they both in that moment rebelled against God. And he, even though he provided them all of their needs, they still wanted more. They still desired more. And in Genesis 3 verses 23 to 24, it says, so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. 
After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve sinned, and they were put out of the garden, no longer able to walk side by side with God. And so how, in all this, did God seek to restore this unity that man Well, we saw that the proper picture of unity looks like Eden, right? So we need to look for an Eden-like setup or template in other places in the Bible. And there are hints and small versions throughout the whole Old Testament, but there are two main parallels with Eden that stand out, and that is the tabernacle and the temple, And so uh, the tabernacle was a portable place of worship for the Israelite people while they were wandering a desert on their way to a land God had promised them. It says in Exodus 25, 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. And the temple was supposed to be a more permanent version of that tabernacle once the wandering was over. It says in 1 Kings uh, 6, uh, 12-13, As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David your father, and I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. So we know that they, like Eden are both places for God to dwell among his people. But there's a lot more to them than just that in common. They all had systems of seven attached to them. The, word was breathed into ex- the world was breathed into existence in seven days. The tabernacle was designed in seven speeches and de- completed in seven acts. And the temple of Jerusalem had seven petitions upon its completion. They had tons of intentionally repeated phrases and words between all three of them. And we can see uh, for this image of Eden that uh, there was in the center the tree of life, then there was the garden, and then the land outside the garden. And for the tabernacle and the temple, there was the holy of holies, that central space, the holy place, and the courtyard. So it's more than just the fact God dwells among them. And so, the inside of the temple as well was filled with imagery of flowers and gold to mimic the beautiful garden that Eden was. And the standing candles with multiple arms were even symbolizing the tree and the tree of life. And they were meant to be, the tabernacle and the temple were meant to be a symbol of Eden carry its same message and fulfill its same purpose of establishing unity between God and man. In fact, God gave the priests of the temple the same command God gave to man in Eden, which was to work and to keep the temple. He again placed that trust in mankind. So the temple and the tabernacle, though, there was, there was something different about them. There was a huge curtain that separated the most inner room from the rest of the temple. 
And most people could not go into it because it was where God would reside. And in the same way that man could not re-enter the Garden of Eden, they could not fully re-enter God's presence past this curtain. And the next part is sad because all of those... Sorry. Uh, and the next part is sad because you know that temptation and fall in Genesis, that loss of unity that took place in Eden, there's a parallel for that too in each of these. For Eden, of course, right, they eat the fruit and disobey. And for Exodus 32, for the tabernacle designs, the Jewish people set up an idol, the golden calf. For Leviticus 10, for the tabernacle completion, two priests again go outside against the law and go inside the Holy of Holies. And the first kings for the temple completion, Solomon marries 700 wives and has 300 concubines. And so all of these, of course, were directly in contrast to what God instructed them to do. And it ended with eventual exile or death. So we can see that God was carefully and precisely giving his people opportunities to replicate that unity that existed in Eden and to have that opportunity for God to dwell among them and each time, just like in Eden, mankind fails. That last temple that was built is destroyed. They try to build another one. It's somewhat pathetic, and the later prophets called it hopelessly corrupt. And it left a dark question for the Israelite people. See, God had made promises to the Israelite people for a very long time, and one of them he had said to David, reads, when your days are over, you will rest with your ancestors, and I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So with the destruction of the temple, they must have wondered if God had given up on Israel. He had promised a throne of his kingdom that would be established forever, but the temple was destroyed And would there ever be a real chance to dwell in unity with God? They failed and failed repeatedly. Would something ever actually happen to cause this? And the answer is yes. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The translation is literally that Jesus tabernacled among us. That unifying link, that desperate hope, that Eden, that Eden between God and man was Jesus. And but do you know what the most horrifying part is? After generations of waiting for unity with God, through him dwelling among us, we repeat the process of Eden once again in temptation and fall. See, the Israelite leaders hated Jesus. He constantly challenged them for their hypocritical actions and fake faith, and they despised him for it. They were in their comfy positions with power and Jesus threatened that. And Psalm 18, 22 reads, the stone the builders, the priests, rejected 
was the cornerstone. The one that they said they were waiting for in desperation, they didn't even recognize. They ended up with them whipping up the crowds against him to demand his execution before a ruler called Pontius Pilate. And during that execution, they had a chance to choose a criminal, Barabbas, or Jesus, and this is what happened. Mark 15, 9 to 15 reads, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. What, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. They shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The leaders, the builders that rejected the cornerstone, they didn't want Jesus to just be killed. They wanted him discredited, demoralized, and humiliated. And before this, they had slapped him and spit on him in the middle of crowds because they wanted Jesus to feel all the pain they could make him, and they did. They were specifically calling for crucifixion, which was known as a horrible torture method, made to see how long a body could be exposed to extreme pain before death. So God sent his only son to atone for our sins with the death on the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life dwelling among us, tabernacling among us, and we responded with murdering him. Man again failed. But God succeeds, and as Jesus died, that curtain that separated us from God is finally torn in two. That barrier that existed since the fall in Eden was gone, and the unity that was lost is finally restored through Jesus. So can we just take a moment to marvel at the extent God went to to regain unity with us? We repeatedly rejected him, he, and he went to the greatest length to rebuild that relationship with us, letting his son die on the cross for our sins, not for his own. That didn't happen. And this stage was considered that holy of holies place. I would have died walking up here. The band coming up here, they would have gotten fried as well, and when... My son sometimes during service gets a little overzealous and runs up here. He'd be gone too. But God came down and dwelt among us. He stepped out of that curtain. And it was torn in two. And so if you're a person interested in faith or a new believer, or someone who has stepped away from a relationship with God, this is what God has done for you. 
If you're having a tough time in life, this is the truth God is trying to get to you. It may be hard to see the good, has, the, the good that God has done for you recently, but even before your life began, he had already done lifetimes of work to restore unity with you. For those who do believe in Jesus, as we are astounded witnessing what God has done to be in unity with us, we have to ask, what have we done to be in unity with him? Have we forgotten the magnitude of what he did for us and just made him into some simple background moral convenience? After all that work to make that unity attainable for us and simple in some regards, we so often disrespect God more for it. He made things easier. And we have the pride to shove him into the background for it. See, if things are calm, and disunity starts taking hold, we need to remember the incredible extent God went to to attain unity with us because in his mercy, he loved us. And we need to be ready to extend that sort of love and mercy to our neighbor. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is what God does for us. And so, it also says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So if we want to actually push forward as a group, how about we reignite that joy we have in Jesus' death on the cross, actually embracing what it means that our God went to the highest extent to change our lives, and we are so truly grateful for that. Let's let that unify us as a church. Let's pray. Lord God, you are incredible. You are the ultimate unifier, God. You unified heaven and earth for us through Jesus, God, through his death on the cross, through a man we rejected, you still succeeded. And through that, Lord, you have allowed us to have unity with you. Your Holy Spirit dwells in us, God. We are so thankful for that. And we pray now, Lord, in the midst of this time of joy that we have, as restrictions are down and things are opening, Lord, in the midst of a very tangible thing you have given us, God, I pray that we embrace the fact that your son died on the cross and let that pull the unity and love in this church forward. Thank you, Lord. Amen.